time for the Friday edition of Hancock and Kelly. You two belong together. John Hancock, Michael Kelly, sponsored by Insperity, HR that makes a difference. On News Radio 1120, KMOX. Good morning, St. Louis, and happy Friday. I'm Michael Kelly, and sitting right over there is John Hancock. Top of the morning to you, my friend. Hey there, good to be here. It's good to be Friday. I yeah. love Friday. And it's going to be a miserable hot weekend. It'll be a little toasty. Out yeah, there. it'll be a good weekend to sit in and watch the ball games early or listen to them right here on KMOX as John Rooney and uh, Ricky Horton will be bringing you the call. From jolly old England. Oh, uh, cheerio there, bloody well, right? We're going to play a little ball. Yes. Uh, that was lovely. Do you have a British accent, John? No, I don't. Did you realize that when you speak a British accent, you can say the most ridiculous things and people accept it because it's a pretty voice? Yeah, you, you think that's pretty, dude? Well, they do, yeah. They, they, you know, there are there are services that you can pay to have, like, a British man or a British woman, you know, John Hancock is away from the phone at this moment. If you'd like to leave him a message, please go ahead. Otherwise, ring him later. Yeah, that's nice. There's something pleasing about a British accent, is there not? Uh, yeah, sure. It's I mean, better than... I'm not going to be disagreeable uh, uh, I'm today. Governor Parson, leave message, and we'll be governor. You know, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, I mean, it's better than a southern accent, right? I love southern accents. Do you? I do. Well, our governor's got one of them. My own, my own dear family uh, comes from the Ozark Hills. Yeah. So I got a lot of that. How'd uh, you shake the accent? I, I can do it. Yeah? yeah, I can do it. You can get down there into the. You can talk uh, some some backward b- oh, hillbilly stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do it all the time. Yeah, I'm not gonna do it right now. Did you ever eat crawfish when you were a kid? Oh yeah. Really? Yeah. They're nasty looking. Well, things. we ate a lot of crappie. Uh, crappie, when I was yeah. A, kid. a lot of crappie, some walleye. You know, fry it up there and eat Aren't, away. Remember when you would go uh, fishing when you were a kid? And I, you know, a fish was a fish to me. They you know they all looked the same. People pull them out and they'd be like, "That's a sunfish. That's a crappie. That's a." I'm like, I don't know. It's got two eyes and gills. It looks like a fish to me. I've never touched a fish. What? I've never touched a fish. How? You don't eat fish. I eat fish. Oh, I've never touched. You a mean you've never fish. taken it off the hook? Correct. Why? I don't know. They're slimy. Yeah, don't you have a merit badge in fishing? I don't. Oh. But I have gone fishing. Yeah. I used to put a rock at the end of the thing and cast into the lake so I wouldn't catch anything. <laughs> uh, but uh, but when I did catch one, my grandpa would come down and take it off. The how, how does a guy get a survival wilderness survival, wilderness survival merit badge? Which means that you know you can you can survive out there in the intense days. heat and days, days, days without being able to touch a fish. Well, because I'm not going to eat fish. Yeah. You know. Have uh, you touched a snake? No. Not even like when they're at the zoo and they're holding them. I mean, I've touched them that way. At the zoo? I don't think I've ever seen a snake at the zoo. Well, that's where most of the snakes are in St. Louis that you would be able to see or, you know, the behind glass. But sometimes you go to the children's area. I thought we were going to talk this. about the Billionaire Fight Club, and here you're talking about fish and snakes. Well, that's because I got interested in you being a southerner oh. and eating crawfish. Well. I'll tell you what's interesting, Michael. What's that? We have the chief of police from the city of Ferguson with us in studio this morning. Yeah, Troy Doyle. Boy, what a resume this guy has put together over his life and the service that he's provided to St. Louis County and now has got a third or fourth career being the chief of um, Ferguson. Uh, It was just 10 years ago we had the death of Michael Brown and and the chaos that ensued after that. Uh, We're going to visit with Troy Doyle about what's changed in Ferguson and some of the enforcement that he's brought forward that... Many of us are applauding and some are still poo-pooing. Live and local, this is St. Louis's News Radio, KMOX. 
Hey, and welcome back to the Hancock and Kelly Show here on KMOX. With you every Friday, we'll go to 11 o'clock today. We'll, uh, uh, you can always see us on Sunday mornings at 8.30 on Fox 2 here in St. Louis for Hancock and Kelly, the television show. And joining us in studio is Troy Doyle. He's the chief of police for Ferguson. He's had a long uh, career of public service here in St. Louis. Troy, thanks so much for joining us. John and Mike, thank you for having me. Troy, uh, let's talk about how you got involved in policing. When did you start? And where'd you wind up? And now you're here, you are in Ferguson. But tell us how you got there. So I give you the quick version. So uh, believe it or not, I uh, grew up in uh, West St. Louis my younger years, um, 5900 block of Wabata to be exact. Uh, as I got older, we moved out to uh, North St. Louis County. And as a teenager growing up in North St. Louis County, um, just like many African-American teenagers experienced then, I got stopped all the time by law enforcement, uh, by all the municipalities up in that particular area. Um, in one particular case, I've uh, it got to the point where I got pulled over so many times. Used to be a store called Service Merchandise, if you right? remember. Yeah. I remember it yeah. well. So I called myself figuring, I'm going to get my paycheck. I was working at the pasta house at the time. When I get my paycheck, the first thing I'm going to do, I'm going to go out and buy me a radar detector. <laughs> I'm going to get this radar detector, and what it's going to do is serve as kind of like an early morning or early warning system. So whenever the police get around me, I just know to go the opposite way. Uh, purchased this radar detector and uh, pulled over on a parking lot. Uh, police pull up uh, behind me, uh, asked me for my driver's license, identification, uh, which I complied. He then surprised me and said, hey, uh, let me see that radar detector. <laughs> I said, okay. So I hands him my radar detector, and he looks at it, and he said, I'll be right back. A short time thereafter, he walks back to my vehicle, and he goes, hey, this radar detector is stolen. I'm like, no, I just purchased it at Merchant. So yeah. this merchandise. Where's the receipt? You know, I'm like 16 years old. Right. I keep the receipt. He's like, well, it's mine now. And it was at that point Whoa. I figured I wow. need to be part of the solution. Wow. Yeah. wow. And so what'd you do? You went and applied? At, where'd well, you go? Well, I was still young, but I uh, obviously had interest in it. I eventually went to the uh, St. Charles County Police Academy when I came to age. Um, I graduated from there. It's another funny story if we had time on how I got hired at the Velda Village. We got Police nothing Department. but time. You go right ahead. <laughs> so quick, real quick story about that. Um, so I uh, graduated from St. Charles County Police Academy in 1989. Um, I was in blue jeans and a T-shirt. I went to the, it was called Velda Village Police Department at the time. Now, I believe it's Velda City now, real small town. I went in there and told him I was interested in becoming a police officer. Uh, I would say I must have looked fairly young at the time because the, uh, the individual that was in charge, he goes, well, you got to be at least 21 years of age. And I said, well, I'm 21. I just graduated from the police academy. He goes, okay, well, come in here and fill out an application. So I fill out this one-page application. Um, he did whatever he did. And he said, hey, won't you jump in a car with me? And I said, okay. Uh, he takes me down to City Hall, introduces me to the mayor. Tells the mayor this young man wants to be a police officer. The mayor says, stand right here for a second. I'll be right back. She goes in the back, come back with a gentleman. They ask me to raise my right hand. <laughs> uh, they swear me in. True story. I'm in blue jeans and a T-shirt. <laughs> uh, I get back in the car. He shows me the little 12 streets in town. The guy tells me uh, I have to go work a secondary job at Children's Hospital. So here's the keys to the police car, Police uh, keys to the police station, he handed me a little snug nose, thirty-eight pistol. Um, call me if you need something. So, 
Uh, this is a true story. I wow. went back to the station. This is before cell phones were popular. And I uh, called my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, and I told her, I said, well, I think I'm the police. <laughs> but I think I just became the police, and that's kind of how my and then, career kind of got started. And then you did several decades at St. Louis County. Yeah, so I uh, left there. I went to Paisdale Police Department, did maybe a little bit over a year at Paisdale. Got hired at St. Louis County Police Department and did uh, close to 31 years for St. Louis County Police. 31 years. So yeah. when, did, when did the opportunity come up to become the chief of Ferguson? So uh, when I retired from St. Louis County, my intent was to maybe go into consulting or, or do something, you know, just kind of lay back for a while. Um, Ferguson reached out to me, asked me would I be interested, uh, consulted with my wife about it. And I'm like, eh, you know, I just did 31 years of this. You know, maybe I just want to sit back. And she knew law enforcement was a passion of mine. Uh, majority of my career was spent up in North County. Ferguson obviously is in North County. I eventually called them back and uh, accepted the opportunity to, to be the police chief. Chief Troy Doyle is our guest. He's the chief of the Ferguson Police Department. It was nine years ago in August when Michael Brown uh, died on the streets there in Ferguson. And what has become now a national phenomenon and, and angst uh, between much of urban America and police uh, has ensued. And you can really trace all of that back to that one day, August the 9th, 19, or 2014. And uh, you're walking into a, a force there that has been scrutinized. You've had the Justice Department in there making recommendations. What's your philosophy of policing? You're an African-American leader. You're going into what is really – the ironic thing to me about Ferguson is that it was one of the most integrated communities in this county. Right. Uh, and then they went through that. What's your philosophy of policing walking into that? So, you know, again, um, as you – know my story now. I mean, I understand the historical uh, things that uh, why African-Americans don't trust law enforcement. I was one of those individuals. I I was harassed. I was stopped. However, I do believe in fair and equitable uh, enforcement. I've been on both sides of it now. Uh, I truly believe that we can treat people in a fair and equitable manner, but also hold people accountable. Yeah. And I I think that's really important. One of the things I've noticed uh, is that being on the police officer side of the equation, you're under a lot of stress there in in how you interact with the community. You're susceptible to being charged with any manner of things. Uh, how do you instruct your force there in Ferguson to on, on the proper way to interact with the community? I, I mean, it's simple. It's the same things that our moms and our grandmamas taught us, right? You treat people the way you want to be treated or you want them to treat your relatives, and that's my philosophy towards my officers. Uh, again, we know that one interaction can uh, just cause us a bunch of headaches and can turn people off. So uh, I tell my officers, this is the one chance that you get to try to make an impact in people's lives, especially a positive one. Chief, it's obvious, uh, it's well documented, our region is dealing with a crime crisis. And for that matter, most cities across the country are dealing with crime uh, to the proportions we hadn't seen in quite some time. Here you are, the police chief of Ferguson, Missouri, ground zero for police reform. Yet over the last several months, we've seen that you have started to bring back some of the uh, enforcement of laws that many people said were problematic, but a lot of people point to that that's the problem. Uh, Temp tags, for instance. Talk to us about why you believe that going and enforcing this kind of thing 
starts to maybe put the genie back into the bottle to the crime problem we have. Right. So that's, that's a good question. So uh, when I became uh, police chief in Ferguson, I expected to walk through the door and was thinking that people were going to hit me with, hey, what are you going to do about robberies and burglaries and homicides and, and you know, all the part one crimes that we think about? Uh, when I came through the door, you know what people talk to me about? How are you going to force the speeding vehicles in our neighborhood? How are you going to let the elderly be able to walk in the evening times without the fear of being hit by a vehicle? How can our grandkids play out in the street without being struck by a vehicle? What are you guys doing about all the expired temporary tags in our city? The people who are driving cars with Illinois plates that not registering their vehicle. These were all the quality of life issues and, and minor things that that the community cared about. You know, so it's like, hey, as a police chief, it's part of my job is to listen to the community, and that's why we move forward with this. It's kind of the day. broken windows approach Absolutely. that if you can show the enforcement at the lower levels, that it may scare crime away. If well, not only that, I mean, but over years, think about it. Uh, people always accuse police chiefs of saying, "Hey, you guys just do what you want to do. You never listen to the community." I come to Ferguson, I listen to the community, and this is what the community is complaining about. And the in terms of the Justice Department's order, mm -hmm. uh, are you all now fully compliant with that? Are you out from under that supervision? No. So um, what you're referring to is a consent decree. You're right. Uh, obviously, you know, city of Ferguson was sued uh, by the Department of Justice um, for racial discrimination. Uh, that is an ongoing process. Uh, we work with the with the DOJ um, to try to come into compliance. Um, you know, we're working on different policies and procedures. It's just an ongoing process until we come into Compliance. And you've had the benefit of 30 years of seeing the entirety of St. Louis County and the, the law enforcement situation. Now you're focused on this one relatively small municipality. Mm -hmm. How would you evaluate the security uh, in the city of Ferguson today? Well, I mean, uh, Ferguson's no different from the rest of the region. I mean, you know, Ferguson have their issues uh, and share crime just like everywhere else. However, again, uh, as I was alluding to, we have to get to a point in our not only in the city of Ferguson, but only in our in our region that we have to start enforcing the law. That's the bottom line. You know, my impression, and I could be wrong, mm -hmm. is that the folks that are committing the, the violent crimes, the carjackings, the shootings, the armed robberies mm -hmm. is a relatively small percentage of the community. Do you have a sense on who those problem people are ahead of time or how do you, how do you begin to get at that problem yeah so it's, it's a combination of a number of different things i mean we get information from community folks of course uh our officers gain intelligence information on on known suspects in our neighborhood uh but i want to tie that into like the temporary tags and, and the speeding vehicle stuff um we had an incident that just recently happened in downtown i think the young man I think identified it came from St. Anne. Somewhere somewhere in that process, he had to travel from St. Anne to get to downtown. Vehicles are important when it comes to traffic laws. <laughs> and what about, uh, you know, the regional issues? We've always talked about the fragmentation of 70 different police departments. Of course, the city of St. Louis and you got St. Louis County. Is there cooperation taking place amongst you all? Are you getting some pushback? Because you're being very forward and saying, hey, it's time to change the way we do this. I've uh, realized a long time ago that, uh, especially being in a leadership role, that you're not going to get everyone to agree with you. Uh, and sometimes it's just part of leadership. I mean, sometimes you got to put yourself out on the island. 
I have to know that when I uh, come up with ideas or, or things that I think is best for the city of Ferguson, knowing that not everyone is going to agree with that. Would a unified police department across the entire region uh, be a solution that St. Louis should be considering, or should we continue down the path that we are currently on? I think that that should be something that should, that we should all talk about and, and what a, a regional uh, approach will look like. I don't know if that's a uniform with all the police departments joining together, or is it a uh, combination of us sharing it and information together? I don't know what that looks like, but yeah, there should be more cooperation. Chief Troy Doyle of the City of Ferguson Police dude. Department is a great guy, uh, and he's been kind enough to spend some time with us this morning. I think he's doing a great job uh, in that city in North St. Louis County. Thanks so much for your time. Time for the Friday edition of Hancock and Kelly. You two belong together. John Hancock, Michael Kelly, sponsored by Insperity, HR that makes a difference. On News Radio 1120, KMOX. Welcome back, St. Louis, to the Hancock and Kelly Show. It's going to be a hot weekend, and all the more reason to sit at home and just listen to KMOX all weekend, right? <laughs> well, I can't think of anything better to do. Well, you got Cardinal baseball coming to you. You're going to get a little tea and crumpets, uh, you know, while you watch the Cardinals. And um, we had Troy Doyle on, the police chief from Ferguson, in the last half hour. A really good guy. And... Uh, Mad respect for the fact that, you know, here he is. He's at ground zero of this whole battle for police reform, et cetera. Uh, of course, we, we've referenced the, the death of Michael Brown and, and the chaos that ensued. And, and then the, the, the whole movement that took place across the country, John. And it's just interesting to me that Troy Doyle, an African-American, goes to become the police chief in Ferguson and the first thing he does is starts to uh, enforce a lot of the low-level offenses, saying, hey, that's what the constituents want. Um, and kind of alluded when I, I asked him, you know, that it, it kind of sends a broader message of this whole lawlessness problem we have going on. It is. And, you know, we focus so much on crime in the city and certainly crime downtown. But crime in North County is a very real as well. And Crime's uh, real in St. Charles, West yeah, County, South it County. It's 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 bubbling up everywhere. It is everywhere. And, you know, Ferguson, I grew up next door in Berkeley as a young lad. And so I know Ferguson very well, spent a lot of time in Ferguson in my youth. And, you know, it remains to this day a really integrated community. I, I was surprised of all the places that had the flare up uh, that you would think in the, in the region or in the country for that matter. Ferguson is one of the last municipalities I would have thought something like that would have happened, but it did. And, you know, the chief is was very poignant talking about how in his youth he was pulled over multiple times. He was the victim of profiling. and But his response to that wasn't to go out and denigrate and disrespect police. His response to that was to become part of the solution, which I think is profound. And, and he's done that in a 30-year career, in St. Louis County, I know he was working in drug units. He was in all kinds of different areas. He was on some FBI task force forces when he was there. Uh, just a very fine, gifted officer who believes enforcing the law is paramount. You got to do it respectfully. You got to do it fairly, equitably. But it's important. Yeah, and let's just look at the juxtaposition from Ferguson enforcing temp tags, speeding, to what's going on in the city of St. Louis, where. We're, you know, we've got mass shootings that are happening, and our response isn't, hey, police is going to be necessary to fix this problem. It's still focused on a lot of, I don't know, the feel-good societal stuff, 
And what I appreciated about what Troy, uh, Chief Doyle, was trying to say, which is, look, if you can enforce low-level enforcement, it can have a larger consequence, and that's what the citizens want. I sit and watch these people here in the city of St. Louis, uh, particularly those in the downtown neighborhood, begging the administration, begging the police department, begging the mayor to pay attention and what they got was a press conference this week that we're going to extend the uh, hours of the youth recreation facilities, which I'm sure is a fine idea. But it's, you know, it's like being on the submarine and 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 being worried about, uh, you know, the fish outside rather than whether or not the thing's going to collapse. Well, you're not going to solve the crime problem we have with youth centers. You, the problem we have is you've got youth in this town, many of whom are part of gangs that are very well organized. Uh, across the country, not just here, across the country, they're organized and integrated. And you've got youth that are armed uh, who are, you know, about the business of committing various crimes, whether it's stealing cars or breaking into vehicles or carjacking them or or robbery. And a youth center, uh, midnight basketball, is not going to solve that problem. It's not going to address those particular uh, kids and it's not going to keep kids, armed kids, out of downtown in dangerous venues and places they shouldn't be. Uh, it's just not going to work. But, we tried midnight basketball back in the 90s. Remember that? Yeah. The guy that was running it stole a half a million dollars. But, but, but John, it could be a small part, uh, you know, a half a percent of the solution, because there are a lot of good kids out there who don't have things to do in the evenings. And rather than running with a brag crowd, they could go do this. But to have a press conference and this is our solution following the mass shooting is just ignoring the the major issue that exists here, which is, you know, it seems to me that we should be having daily updates on policing, daily um, briefings briefings about what we're doing to fix problems, what resources the city and the county and the state can bring to this fight. Instead, we're continuing to talk around these outside issues while Rome continues to burn. I, I just don't understand why we can't be focused on crime and have a board of aldermen and an administration, a state government that wants to fully focus on this and get this under control because it is killing our entire region. Troy Doyle can do what he's trying to do in Ferguson, but if we have the idea of lawlessness pervasive around St. Louis, guess what? We lost 200,000 people in the last two, three years. We're going to lose that many more in the next couple of years. Oh, well, there's no doubt about that. That's been ongoing for quite some time now. You know, you go back and look at that shooting where, I don't know, 10, 11, 12 people were shot uh, on Saturday evening slash Sunday morning last weekend. Uh, at a party at 14th and Washington. That's right downtown. And I, I have to believe that the shooting occurred, I think, around 3 a.m., if memory serves. I have to believe that at some point prior to 3 a.m. and the place getting shot up, that it was noisy. There were dozens and dozens of youth having a party in a building. And how do you miss, if you're patrolling downtown, how do you miss that something's going on in this office building at 1 o'clock in the morning, midnight, on a Saturday night, 
and don't investigate. Well, that's that's the thing. Here would be my speculation. Yeah. There's probably not that many officers out there to do it. And right. the people who did see what was going on are calling 911. And guess what? Nobody's answering, Nobody's answering it. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, what? rather than having a press conference about 911 and recruiting people and maybe getting some of these young people to be 911 call answerers, we're talking about, you know, youth centers, which is fine. But the fact that that has been the lead story less than a week away from this mass shooting that we're focused on youth centers rather than policing and what is the ultimate problem here. It's just I, sometimes I feel like I live in an alternate universe that we're just continuing to look the other way. John, I, li- I my office is a block and a half from there, where that I mass know, shooting yeah. happened. My year started off last year with a guy getting killed on the front porch of my office. I mean, literally. Literally in, in on door. the front door yeah. of my office. And I mean, this this problem is persistent. I I used to live down here for 20 years. I used to walk from 20th and Washington. Think about that. 20th and Washington all the way to the Cardinal game. Never had a concern. Now I'm afraid to walk from my office to my parking lot. Yeah. And you know, our solutions continue to be: we got to make people feel better. We've got to figure out a way to, you know, find to put more of this rather than dealing with the root causes, which is there's no police around and we're not enforcing the law. And, and, and therefore, people know they can come down and act a fool. And and you know, look, so sociological factors are at play here. You've got obviously poor parenting when you've got 15 year olds <laughs> out at three o'clock in the morning. You know. Rather than playing basketball at three o'clock in the morning, how about sleeping, and uh, and getting up and and maybe going to a summer job the next morning, you know? But you you don't. It, it's a it's a complete breakdown societally that includes everything from the parenting to the jobs to the lack of income to the to the lack of policing to the lack of focus on uh, you know exercising law enforcement. Uh, all of that is part of this problem. And and here's a little hint to my Democrat friends who don't like Jefferson City. And by the way, I'm one of them. I think Jefferson City is a major part of this problem. But continuing to ignore the things that we can do to change laws here in the city of St. Louis only feeds the beast from these people from the rest of the state who want to come in and Bigfoot uh, St. Louis City because while while we're seeing mass shootings and, you know, we're not proposing simple gun laws that Kara Spencer's brought forward. We're saying that it's going to potentially bring about profiling, et cetera, et cetera. Yet we want to sit and complain about Jefferson City. Guess what? You may get exactly what you want. And that's Jefferson City coming in and taking over your police department. That's Michael Kelly. I'm John Hancock. It's our regular Friday gig when we come back while they're trying to impeach President Biden. We're going to break that down and discuss it when we come back after this on the voice of St. Louis, Cable X. Now, back to Hancock and Kelly, sponsored by Insperity, HR that makes a difference on News Radio 1120, KMOX. So, have you seen this latest Elon Musk, man? I t- I'm not an Elon hater. Yeah. I actually think, you know, the man's, uh, he's a genius. I mean, well, he's made he, quite a bit of money for himself. Yeah, but he's a genius, right? He created uh, Saw Avoid and, uh, and, and put the science behind it and now has one of the biggest companies on the planet, Tesla. Uh, you know, you got Mike, Mark Zuckerberg, who some say created Facebook, others say he stole it, but regardless, he's, he's, he's made in a lot charge of, money. of it. They made a lot of money. Both of these guys have made a lot of money. And now these billionaires, you know, who I guess, one, you know, are sending people to space, maybe even putting people into the bottom of the ocean. 
They're so bored that now they're publicly spatting with each other and they want to fight on social media. Like, I don't, I don't it's just, what's going on with our world, dude? So are they, are they fighting rhetorically with one another or? Uh... No, like they, Elon and Zuckerberg challenged each other to a ma- you know, match inside of a cage match. The guy who does the UFC has now gotten involved, and these the two richest men in the world may wind up going and, and having a fight and, what, charging us all 20 bucks to watch it? I mean, what what is going on, man? Does everybody just want to be a celebrity? Well, it's not enough to just be a billionaire, and now you got to go and fight with each other, a couple of nerds in a box fighting with each other? No, I won't be tuning in. I guess it's going to be a pay-per-view event some kind of way. I don't know that it's gotten worked well, out. Well, uh, here's the thing. And this, for me, ties in perfectly to the state of our politics today. Everything now has become reality television, uh-huh. reality social media, uh, reality celebrity. When we, we're taking people who, business people, and turning them into celebrities. We're taking politicians and turning them into celebrities. And I don't know if you saw earlier this week, C-SPAN footage captured on the floor of the U.S. House of Representatives. Lauren Boebert, wow. the congresswoman from Colorado, and Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia. Some deplorables two there. Of the, two of the more outspoken uh, Donald Trump supporters in the United States House of Representatives. They were in an open fight, a shouting match, arguing over who should get credit for drafting and submitting the articles of impeachment against Joe Biden, which, by the way, <laughs> was done uh, yesterday in Washington, D.C., and it has been referred to the Judiciary Committee, where they're going to take up Passed unanimously of, by the Republican Party. They've, everyone voted for it. And, uh, you know, Kevin McCarthy, I don't envy Kevin McCarthy. He's got a caucus with a four-seat majority that includes George Santos. And very unwieldy, difficult to, to manage and tame. And he uh, clearly... It, an effort to impeach Joe Biden would be very popular, very well received by the the Maggots. strident GOP base. But everybody else thinks it's stupid. It is stupid. And it's it's not we need to be talking about and should be told, we being Republicans need to be talking about the state of the economy. We need to be talking about inflation and how it's been an effective tax increase on all of us. We need to be talking about the absolute uncontrollable spending and the continued um, proposals of spending by the Biden administration and how that's helped to drive our inflationary cycle. We need to be talking about how we would fix it and address it. And instead, the news coming out of Congress is that the Republicans are going to impeach the president. And uh, and it's all part of this celebrity culture. Guess who was on with Sean Hannity last night? It was Lauren Boebert. Oh. Yeah, I, I just don't get what's going on because I— you know, I, I kind of like as a Democrat, a partisan, that y'all are out there doing this clown show. But when you look at the political reality of what's happening, you have a president that I don't think we've seen a president run for re-election with this low of popularity in quite some time. Pretty down there. Yeah. And uh, Republicans could be passing you know, stuff that I wouldn't like, but could be passing things through Congress and saying, we have solutions. We want to make America great again, and this is what we're doing. Instead, they they're having the hearings with Jim Jordan. They're acting a fool with Kim uh, l- 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 with uh, Lauren Boebert and Marjorie Taylor Greene, 
And I think that plays into President Biden's hands, John, because the more Donald Trump continues to be out there um, and continuing to push this extremist thought process, regular people are looking at this saying, wow, these are my two choices. I'm going to go with the guy that, from a Republican perspective, is bad on policy and many people don't think is fully functioning over this clown show because at least things are steady and running well, let's take the let's take the subject matter that uh, involves the impeachment articles against Joe Biden. It has to do with his lack of enforcement at the border. Is what it has to do. With. Now, that's a real issue, right? And you know, there's enough folks coming in here to in a year illegally that would populate some twenty states in this country. I mean, think about that. Uh, and how about passing a bill? It's not going to go through the Senate. I understand that. But we do have the votes in the House passing a, a bill that serves as a blueprint and a plan for how you would go about enforcing the border. Uh, it might You might have to go through a couple of iterations of it, but I'll bet there's enough votes in the GOP caucus. And it would be a very tough vote for a lot of moderate Democrats if if it made it to the floor of the House. Well, we control the House. And so rather than focusing our rhetoric and attention on impeaching Joe Biden, how about let's put an immigration plan on the table and pass it in the House? That would go a long way politically to making the points that need to be made here, I think. Kevin McCarthy's not a dumb guy, um, but he made a deal with the devil. Um, And I I guess that deal, uh, just common sense can't prevail for him. I mean, he's had to deal with the censure of Adam's uh, shift this week. that happened. That the Republicans brought up because they didn't like some of the things that— I, by the way, rightfully so, if you were from a Republican perspective, you can be upset about it. But you're going to censure a guy who went through a legal process as opposed to one of your own who's a convicted felon? I mean, you got to understand that if you're if you're wanting to play this game, but it seems to me he's just surrendered to the extremists, and maybe that was a part of the deal that happened. But, John, I think you see the consequences of it. I think it ultimately you pay the price in the 2024 election. Well, you've got to feed the— the beast, the the fringe. It was, yes, I don't think impeachment is the best way to feed and, and nurture, but but you do have to do some things. And the censure of Schiff, I think, is a good example of something that can be done uh, that would be pleasing to the base. And I because I think there was justification for that. But you've also got to show the people that you can govern, and and that's what I think is getting lost. Republicans did pass a debt ceiling bill in the House. It was the first bill that passed in either chamber and before Joe Biden had a proposal out. That was good. That was policy. Everybody knew it wasn't going to become law, but it showed that the Republicans could govern. We need to do the same thing on the border. And if we had some kind of an anti-inflation package, we ought to be debating that as well. Well, he's John Hancock. I'm Michael Kelly. We're going to be with you for, what, another half hour? Then we'll be joined by Amy and Chris. The Chris and Amy Show. Chris and Amy. When we come back, we're going to talk about some other billionaires up to some crazy stuff. Yeah, the Titan submersible uh, situation. I got some strong thoughts on that. Michael does, too. We'll talk about it next on KMOX. What defines us is who we are as a collective group and and, uh, how we progress and gain momentum through the season. The Coach's Corner with St. Louis City Coach Bradley Carnell. Mondays at 9.35 on America's Sports Voice, KMOX. So uh, if it's so hot out this weekend, you're going to... 
pull out the old television there and maybe watch an episode or watch the movie The Titanic again just for the heck of it? I am not. Uh, but, man, how compelling was this story of the Titan submersible that uh, disappeared on Sunday or lost radio contact on Sunday? We then spent the next several days searching for it. And it's a very dangerous search. You know, we actually know, I've heard said, and I could be wrong about this. I'm often wrong, but never in doubt. True that. That we know less about what is under the ocean than we know about what's in space. Right. And, you know, this was a very dangerous rescue mission. And they searched and then they... News Nation was doing a countdown on how long the oxygen was going to last. I mean, that was unsightly. Uh, but, you know, all of that's going on, and everybody's fixated on the coverage, hoping against hope that some miraculous discovery would be made, and they, we, they would ho- hoist that thing up to the surface, and those five lives would be saved. Come to find out yesterday that the U.S. government detected, uh, right about the time communication was lost, Uh, They detected uh, sounds that uh, would have indicated an implosion. Uh, Why didn't we know about that for four days? That's that's my question. We we expend and and more personally, you've got family members of these folks, uh, five people from four different families. You've got family members of these folks that are being told that, well, we're going to look for them and blah, blah, blah. Well, they, they imploded. They blew up. They died instantaneously, which if they were going to lose their lives on that mission, that was a merciful way to go as opposed to running out of oxygen. And it, I don't know. I, there's something about well, this, and I don't know if it's because the, there was military secret technology involved. Perhaps it detected the implosion. But certainly we could have done something before four or five days to say this thing likely imploded. Agree. And I don't want to sound crass or unempathetic to the families and to the people, but how did this consume us for four or five days? I mean, there were five people on a submarine who went and spent a bunch of money, and it literally was what led on CNN and, like you said, News Nation and Fox News. And, you know, I get it. I guess it's somewhat because it's the Titanic but I think it's more of the fact that, like, I-, I wound up spending time over the last couple of days, like, thinking, like, what it must feel like to be in that enclosed area that you can't get out of. And why well, it's like going up to the top of the arch. Right. And but but I mean, you know, you're going to run out of oxygen. It sounds like it was cold. They had to pee in a jar. You know, so many things that you can visualize yourself being in. Buried alive. Buried alive. Yeah. It's almost a buried alive thing that. I guess that's why we got obsessed that's with totally it. That's totally why we got obsessed. But do you think it really should be getting the attention that it's gotten? Well, the Titanic is such an iconic relic of our past. You know, it was just what a hundred and eleven yeah. years ago, whatever, uh, when that went, when that I remember occurred. Remember it like it was yesterday. <laughs> yeah, well, I do too. Uh, but it, it, but the Titanic has always been something that has fascinated us uh, on both sides of the. Uh, why? The, because the ocean. there were rich people on it. It was unsinkable, and it sank. Yeah, and and it was yeah, and there were. I mean, Archie Butt, one of the high government officials, was on that uh, ship, and there's all these exhibits. There's one down in Branson where, where they've got a replica of the Titanic. You could walk <laughs> into the dining room, and that big clock hanging right. over the ballroom. Oh, get in line to do that. And I have. Uh, and, it, you know, there's a fascination with it. And clearly these five individuals had a fascination with it so it's such that they wanted to go down and see it for themselves. James Cameron, the the 
famous producer of the Titanic movie, the most recent Titanic movie, has been down to see it on multiple times. occasions. Dozens. He expressed some real concern about the construction of this Titan submersible and that it was susceptible to a host of problems and that they were going down solo. And he he made the point that whenever he went on these expeditions, there was always another submarine just in case something went wrong. Uh, this seems to me to be ill-conceived uh, as a as a thing, and, you know, they probably shouldn't have done it. And I really feel bad for the 19-year-old son who didn't want to go. He right. was very terrified of it. He did it because of Father's Day. He's agreed on Father's Day that he would do it. And, um, you know, that's tragic in and of itself. All right, let me ask you a question, yeah. hypothetical. Yeah. You have to do one or the other. You don't have a choice. I'm either going to put you in a submarine and you're going to go down and look at the Titanic and the risks that could exist by that. We just witnessed those. Uh-huh. Or I'm going to put you in one of them rockets that uh, and send you up into space and, and, and bring you back and the risk that could go with that. Which are you choosing? I have to do one. You have to do one. I don't want to do either one of them. Come I on, that wasn't the hypothetical, brother. I do have the Wilderness Survival Merit Badge, though. I could probably, uh, I don't think I could fend. I can't swim, for one thing. Yeah. Terrified of water. Right. So, I mean, if I had to do one or the other, I'd take the shortest possible trip to space as I could. Right. And get the heck back. Uh, I'd go to space, too, because I think there's more of a probability if something went wrong, it'd be over with quickly. Then if something went wrong in the ocean, as we witnessed, and we've gone through all the horror scenario, scenarios, uh, so I'd be with you on that flight, brother. I just wonder, I just wonder if, if the reason the government or whomever was grappling with making this disclosure that they detected an implosion, I wonder how much of that was based on not wanting to tip our hand about some of the technology. Because this is military, make no mistake. The detection in the oceans near our borders are full of right. military, uh, and I would imagine pretty sensitive. Uh, well, you materials. sure hope that's the case, right? Yeah. That it would be the military that would fix it. But, but I mean, let me remind you that we also had a spy balloon go over this country that the military didn't identify. You know, I, I know I digress here a little bit, but <sighs> one of the points I've heard made about that balloon and the reason. Not only were they flying over our nuclear facilities, they were, and getting, I still don't think we know what exactly intelligence they got from whatever the balloon was picking up and transmitting back to China. At least if, if we know that, I've not heard it. But the other thing that the Chinese got out of it is they got to see how the United States military would respond to an item like this floating across the country, and they got to see in real time uh, and take note of exactly what uh, the United States military is going to do. And, and you know, there's so much going on, and we're so focused on Trump and the craziness in Congress and blah, blah, blah. China is beginning to put troops on the ground in Cuba, which is right there off the coast of Florida. And China is a real threat to the world order. They certainly pose a substantial threat to the United States of America, and very little talk in the mainstream media about what's happening there. Yeah, we have the military threats from China, but China also has a threat on our business. I mean, they've been stealing our secrets for the longest time. They're going over there and they're trying to recreate it. And it's not like one of those, hey, we're going to build half the products here and half the products there like we do here in the United States. No, have no doubt. They want to take over everything. The entanglement 
of military, geopolitical, and corporations as it relates to China, I think is probably what we're dealing with for the next 10 years. Yeah, and, and beginning to decouple some of that. I don't think you can do it. Well, you can't do it overnight. I found it interesting. So President Modi of India right. was at the White House last there, night. A lot of people upset about that. Uh, well, he's not a particularly good dude. Right. And um, But India, that uh, their relationship with China is not great. And India is a massive player on the world stage. I mean, you just look at the they industry that many in that people. country <laughs> and all the people that are there. And some foreign policy analysts that I've heard talk about the significance of, of the Indo-American relationship. And, yeah, he's not a great guy. But there's plenty of not great guys that we've found partnerships with over the years and strategic relationships with. I think that perhaps in the short and longer term, uh, that relationship between the U.S. and India might become a very pivotal uh, part of our foreign policy and, and national intelligence. No doubt about it. Hey, John, do you know what happened in St. Louis in 1904? Yeah, the uh, Olympics. Well, most people would say the World's Fair, and they forget that we also had the Olympics. Well, our next guest. The Olympics continue to go on, and its impact on St. Louis continues uh, to be exhibited. Our next guest will be the Olympics. Right here on KMOX. KMOX is the regional Edward R. Murrow Award winner for excellence in sound. Hey, welcome back to the Hancock and Kelly Show. Lots of you will remember we had a fair here in 1904. Seems to be all we talk about and... Trying to hold on to that. Scott Joplin performed at the fair in 19. Did he really? He did. But the most important thing, from my perspective, that happened in St. Louis in 1904, I mean, obviously the fair brought us a lot, but was the Olympics, because the Olympics still go on today, still having that impact, and we have a part of it here in St. Louis. We just got the Louis. rings up a few years ago. Yes, and I've joining us in studio right now is Mark Schreiber. He's the president in Saint, of St. Louis Sports Commission. Mark, welcome back to KMOX. It's Great to be with you guys and wonderful to be on KMOX. So what's Olympic Day? What that's coming up and you're hosting something on June twenty third? Talk about it. So that's that's today, and it's the worldwide celebration of Olympic Day internationally. It celebrates the birth of the, the Olympics, but importantly for St. Louis, you know, we hosted the nineteen oh four games, the first Olympics in the Western Hemisphere. We're one of only three cities in America to host the summer games. So we have this special tradition that we do every Olympic day. We bring hundreds of young people out to the Olympic Stadium, the track at Washington University, Francis Olympic Field. Yeah. We have Jackie Joyner-Kersey, Don Harper-Nelson, both from East St. Louis, storied Olympians, and they're going to lead a group of about 500 kids around the, the Olympic Stadium track. It's the oldest Olympic Stadium still in active use. So, you know, you, you talk about talking about the World's Fair all the time. This isn't about living in the past, but it's figuring out how we take this great thing of being part of the Olympic movement, leverage it for good in the community and to have a positive impact for St. Louis. And those were great games in 1904. They had the swimmer, I can't think of his name, that they, he kind of revolutionized swimming in yes. America. Yep. There's uh, a, we have a local author that just did Michael a book. Michael yep, exactly. wrote a book. It's a great book and uh, very significant. You guys are involved in so many things over at the St. Louis Sports Commission, and I'm really excited. I'm looking at what's upcoming. Of course, you sponsor the Musual Awards every year yep. uh, or host them. And But we've got the Frozen Four coming back to St. Louis. That's a big deal. 
Yes, it is. And and that is not an easy event to get because there are cities all across the country. Anybody that has an NHL facility wants that event. And we last hosted in 2007 and have been trying to bring it back. And so to have it coming back in 2025 is a huge deal for us, the Blues Enterprise Center, and the entire community. Yeah, what other big – you've got some other big events. Looks like there's some big NCAA men's basketball coming and all kinds of things. Yeah, so we'll have March Madness back in 2026. Nice. Our next big one for us is the Missouri-Memphis football game, September 23rd mm. at the Dome. First time we've got big-time college football back in St. Louis since 2010. That's a long gap. And we're thrilled that the Tigers – both teams are the Tigers – but we're thrilled that Mizzou's coming back in this market – and, um, you know, the, the other big thing for us is we're about to embark on the NCAA's next bid process for 2026 to 2030. So that gets a, gives us a chance to reload on the major events it's that we have coming here. It's got to be incredibly competitive. Oh, yeah. And only more so after the last few years. And, you know, you, you deal with places like Nashville and, and Indianapolis that, that have a lot of momentum. And, and then a place like Las Vegas, yeah. which wasn't even in the game five years ago, but with legalized sports gambling, yep. now all of a sudden Las Vegas is a formidable competitor. But we hold our own, and you know the geography works. And, and the best thing about St. Louis is our track record and just the our fan base here and the corporate community is so supportive, and it really gives us an edge. Okay, so for us golf nuts, yes, this is the only place in North America. Or North America has the only right here in St. Louis, the only golf course that hosted an Olympics. Right, yeah, Glen Echo Country Club. Um, back, you know, there was a cool stat at one point where um, Olympic golf went away and it returned in 2016. So there was this really cool link, link during the Rio Olympics where. Uh, you know, it was a big deal that Glen Echo was the, the last to host. And by the way, you mentioned golf. We'd be remiss to not yeah. mention we got the B- BMW Championship in 26. Where's President that going? At Bell Reef. Awesome. President's Cup in 2030, also at Bell Reef. And just, you know, be grateful for what that club has done to elevate golf in our community. Well, and, and golf, I mean, it, it's becoming such a huge sport, and it's drawing so much attention, and St. Louis has shown up so well. That's the reason we continue to get these national and international opportunities. Exactly, and that happens across the board with you know many of the events we host is a great narrative and story of St. Louis stepping up, but no finer example of that than the 2018 PGA Championship. Where can people find more information about all of the cool uh, sports things that are coming to St. Louis and more information on the Olympic uh, Day? Sure. it's Our website's stlsports.org. And Olympic Day today, 11 o'clock at Wash U. So if you're around, Open feel to the public. free. Yeah, come on over. It's a pretty cool event. Exactly. It's wonderful. And, and the chance to hear Jackie and Don Harper Nelson talk is going to be great. And then you get to walk or run the track with them. That voice you hear is Mark Schreiber. He's the president of the St. Louis Sports Commission. They're doing great work. Sports such a vital part of this community. Mark, thanks for your time. Have a great weekend. Michael. Yes. Uh, good to be with you. We're going to stick around and spend a little time with Chris and Amy. I want to thank James O'Sullivan masterfully doing his job. Frank Ladd producing yet another program. It's Chris and Amy after this on KMOX.